Shalhevet High School presents the Radical Moderation Podcast. Here's your host, Rabbi Ari Siegel. Hello and welcome to the final episode, Season 1 Radical Moderation Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Siegel, joined today by my friend, my colleague, and my sound producer and podcast producer, Noe Jacobson. Noe, thanks for being here. A pleasure. So it's that time of year. Uh, Summer's coming up. School is ending. uh, And we've decided that we're going to put a closing bookmark, put a period on this year's podcast. This will be our 15th episode, which is pretty cool. Um, Feeling good about that, Noe. So thank you for being part of that. Uh, I think today what we're going to do is I'll just share a couple broad thoughts, um, maybe some lessons I've learned over the the course of this this year doing this podcast. Noe will share some listener questions that I will uh, address, and then we'll we'll say goodbye until until the start of next year. So first of all, first and foremost, and I know this will come as a surprise to most of you, this podcast is sponsored by Apple, doing things differently. Actually, no, we don't have any sponsors. And I think that's in large part because people aren't forwarding this on to enough people. So I ask you, please, if you've enjoyed this podcast, send it on to other people, recommend it to other people. The summer, a time when I think a lot of people are looking for something to listen to, something to a new uh, new project to take on. Tell them about the Radical Moderation podcast. Noe, I had the funniest thing happen to me when I was in Israel with our 12th grade class, we take an annual trip to Poland and Israel. So we got to Israel and we were uh, there one night. There's a night called Shavuot, where the Jewish people uh, as a community reenact the receiving of the Torah. And so there's a tradition to stay up all night. And so I went to a uh, yeshiva, which is a place where young men study in Israel. There are midrashot or seminaries for women. Uh, and I walked in and some young, I don't know, 19, 20 year old runs up to me and he said, are you Shalhevet? And I said, yeah, I'm with Shalhevet, the school. And he said, are you, do you know, is Rabbi Siegel here? And I said, well, I'm Rabbi Siegel. And he said, oh my gosh, I listened to your podcast. And it was like the most hilarious, for me, it was hilarious. I was at this yeshiva Oraita. Uh, it's in the old city of Jerusalem. And this a uh, young man proceeded to tell me that there's a whole group of students at Oraita who listen to this podcast. Apparently, one of their teachers at the school suggested they listen to it. And so lots of students there are listening to it. So I think Oraita wins this year's award for uh, best group listening to my podcast. Uh, I, they're back to defend their title next year. And I'm sure they uh, will do a great job of that. So that's a long way of asking you to leave feedback, rate it, subscribe to it forward it to other people. Maybe you keep hearing me ask you to forward it to other people and you're thinking, I would, I should, I will, and you don't. I'm asking asking you that you do forward it on because I think there's real value in building a a listenership that that cares about this idea. Um, I also uh, did not have enough uh, time for this over this year, but I'm hoping for next year to be able to do this. I'd love for your feedback um, on ideas, topics, guests, uh, maybe stylistic changes that you have in mind, anything that you feel like could make the podcast better, more listenable, reach more people. So 
please feel free to email me with those. I, I gave my email address on the podcast with Elon Gold, uh, and he made a joke that I already get enough emails. But I I'm uh, I love getting emails from listeners, and so a.segal at shalhevet.org, S-H-A-L-H-E-V-E-T dot O-R-G. So Noe and I were talking before uh, we started recording, and Noe suggested that I share some learnings. Meaning, obviously, over the course of these uh, this year and these 15 episodes, um, there are a lot of little things that come to mind, but he suggested I narrow it down to three. So first, I would say that there is a need for this kind of forum. Meaning, just the feedback I'm getting... Um, you know, sometimes you wonder if you're alone in in feeling like we, there's a deep need for radical moderation. Is there a is there is it just me that that really wants us to come back towards the center in some way that we've got gotten so divisive that it's it's clear now that it's not constructive. And so, just the feedback we've gotten, and no, we you know, I thought I think we printed out some of the comments from the from the podcast, just people's posts and. I've gotten a lot of emails directly, but you know, too often, here's a comment from Passionate Moderation by VAB. Too often people confuse extremism with passion. Rabbi Siegel's podcast shows you can be passionate and moderate. His his views are a fresh voice in the public discourse, which is sad in some ways that it's a fresh voice, Uh, but I I think we need more of it. Another comment is from D. Lisa R. It's so refreshing to listen to difficult topics being discussed in a respectful manner. I'm loving the wide range of people Rabbi Siegel has invited on the podcast and look forward to listening every week. First of all, Lisa, every week is a lot, but I'll do my best next year. Um, and it's just interesting, Noe, to hear. They're both using the word refreshing, um, which I guess is kind of sad, no? I'm, I'm going to keep calling on you. Uh, yeah, I mean, sad, but I think a good thing that hopefully this podcast is addressing a need. Okay, great. So yes, uh, you know, for me, I thought maybe, not that I was alone, but that there wouldn't be a real core of people. I think there's a not so insignificant, uh, I'm not even sure it's a minority. It might be a majority, but they're just quiet of people who are thirsting for this kind of reasoned debate and discussion and just respectful debate. Okay, um, the next piece, uh, second learning is that as much as you can create a forum for this, people are kind of still too afraid to participate, which was surprising for me. I think I remember at the start of the podcast when I emailed it out and when I hosted my initial podcast, I said I wanted to get two guests from opposing sides uh, to come on the show together and discuss issues in a respectful way to model for everybody radical moderation and to start to really be able to empathize with the other side, even if I disagree strongly with it. And it, it was amazing to me just how difficult and I would say near impossible to get two people on in an episode together. Um, there's just a sense of, I think there's a lack of uh, psychological safety that people have of, of being put into that format that somehow it'll devolve and and they'll they'll lose maybe I, I don't know exactly I have an email here from I, I had tried to reach out to a parent two parents on opposing sides I thought that would be interesting for my listeners to hear and a parent wrote back to me 
With other parents, coworkers, and my clients, I try to avoid political discussions, especially public ones. I would feel this way even if we weren't in an outrage culture where anything you say or people think you said can be used against you, can and will be used against you. And we had a whole email exchange about this, but you know, he, there's a fear that in today's culture where everything is uh, recorded forever and everything's on the internet or or uh, or saved somewhere, that something you say, whether it's in your job, in your professional life, will be taken and used against you. And, you know, hey, this person supported X. Can you believe that? Let's let's boycott his product or, or her firm. That's a scary thing to think. And I do think that that has played a significant role in closing down discussion. And while... Um, Maybe over the summer, I'll spend a little bit of time thinking about solutions to that. I'd be interested in hearing from listeners uh, about potential solutions. How can we, as a society, protect those who want to share their opinions? Um, I almost think, you know, there's a certain sense of like fear of being shamed, it, whether you're a liberal and, you know, you're saying something that in your more conservative community, uh, you, you would be shamed for saying, or you're a conservative and you're saying something that in your liberal uh, your friends, your colleagues, or your clients, or your customers will shame you. Um, I think almost I would love to get into a culture of shaming the shamers. Um, you, no one should be shamed for an idea they have. If somebody has an idea, unless it's you know, I guess you could have some wildly offensive ideas, and that's part of the challenge. Is we've we've redefined the borders of what wildly offensive is. Um, and kind of broaden them because that way you can say the other side is being wildly offensive. But if we could somehow stop people from doing that, uh, I think we'd we'd move a long way towards allowing people to have these conversations and get back into that space where you're allowed to say something, you're allowed to float a hypothesis in in uh, Jewish thought. It's called a hava amina. That you, hey, I have a thought. I want to throw out a hypothesis. I'm not saying I'm sticking to it. I'm just saying here's an idea. Um, and that's actually something that I feel really passionately about and something to talk about. So number one, there's a need for this kind of forum. Number two, people are still too afraid to participate. And number three, and I thought this was just funny sitting back and seeing it from my vantage point is I would, I would sum it up as you hear what you want to hear, Noe, which is that when I would interview a more liberal guest, let's say, and again, Rabbi Brous maybe wouldn't define herself as liberal. We all define ourselves as centrist. Um, but I was saying, I think she's from a more liberal bent. I got a lot of emails afterward from liberal people saying that was wonderful. What a great discussion. That was so great. And you guys had such a good back and forth. And I got emails from conservative people who said, you didn't push her enough. How come you didn't hold her accountable? How come you didn't debate her? Um, and of course my response was, it's not a function, you know, this is not about debating somebody it's about asking them questions and probing and getting them to a point where they can understand and appreciate and respect the other side. And that's what I'm trying to do here. You know, I had the same exact experience when I emailed, uh, when I uh, did a podcast with Maish Bain, the president of the Orthodox Union, who, you know, certainly my listeners, he would probably consider himself a centrist also, but my listeners would consider him more right wing. And so people who identify with that philosophy politically, religiously were like, what a great interview. So interesting. Thank you so much. What, you know, this was wonderful. And more liberal people were like, I can't believe you let him get away with that one liner about, you know, uh, that they do, uh, that they really do care about women's issues or almost, you know, it's like it's find and replace on on uh, Word, you know, Microsoft Word. You can just replace conservatives and liberals in, in either direction. And it, it's kind of it's kind of sad to me. I actually was thinking about this, Noe, and tell me if I'm totally off base. Um, I remember 
people screaming and yelling from the conservative side of the aisle when uh, President Obama made the Iran deal, whether you think it's good or bad, but people were like nuts. It's not going to be long lasting. It's uh, a no deal is better than a bad deal. He's just, you know, showboating all the rhetoric. I don't know, rhetoric. You might feel it's accurate about President Obama. And people on the left were like, no, this is, you know, at least he's done something and at least he's reaching out to them. And, you know, so what that they're dictators and I find they're dictators, but you have to at least have communication and a relationship with them. And then we have this President Trump meeting with the, you know, North Korea with King Jong-un. And you're like, they're saying the exact same thing, except they flipped the scripts. They literally handed each other the other script. It's just showboating. I can't believe it. No deal would have been better than whatever, you know, fake thing you have here. And I can't, you know, it's just all uh, gamesmanship. And he's just trying to... And then the same supporters are like, no, you know, this is at least he got some conversation and it's like you flip the script and it's people are either, I don't know if they're tone deaf or they're so, uh, they have blinders onto our own positions. We don't realize we're saying the exact same thing. And the double standard is, is as, as high as I've ever seen it in terms of, uh, intensity thoughts. Noe, do you think I'm crazy? No, I, I think people are not looking at the actual issues, the actual policies, going through with a fine-tooth comb and seeing what are the merits of this agreement and and what's wrong with it. But I think the, the posture from the outset is one of who's on my team, who's on their team, and can we dig into the trenches? And, you know, that that's the more important piece. Is is where are the where are the lines drawn? Whose team am I on? As opposed to wait a second, this piece of legislation, this treaty, this agreement, this policy, what what is it? Is it good? Is it bad? Do I agree with it? Do I disagree with it? Hmm. Is it is it you know is is it the right thing? Is not the right thing? I think that that's almost become besides the point. And I don't have enough. Um, perspective or or years to know if it's always been that way. Um, I, I don't like remember it, ha- it being that way. Not that I'm so old, Noe, but I don't know if I'm going to get the story right, but I don't know if you heard about this. There was a graduate who was the valedictorian at his school, um, and he was giving a speech. It was somewhere in, you know, like uh, the heartland of America, Trump country. And he ended off his speech at some point with like a quote from President Donald Trump, and he got a round of like resounding standing ovation, round of applause. And then he said that was actually from President Obama and people were like booing and hissing. And he was, this is a kid, like an 18 year old, you know, when I was 18, I was, I don't know, playing basketball and video games or something like that. Um, This kid is thinking of exactly this issue. Like we're judging ideas, not by their merit, but by who said them, which is the exact opposite, by the way, of what Jewish thought tells us. It says, there's a idea, don't look at what's on the outside, just look at what's inside. Uh, This idea of don't judge a book by its cover, we've like gone the opposite direction. Everything is judged by its cover. Everything is judged by who says it. Uh, And I think that that's maybe a place to start. It's interesting. Wouldn't it be interesting if when we're thinking about issues, Noe, or there was some like, I don't know, newspaper that did this or a news site, that they just told you the facts. They didn't say who did it, who made it happen. Just this is what's going on. This is the policy. What do you think? Um, Obviously, it's going on. I think there are websites around election time, think, where you can answer a bunch of questions 
as it pertains to a variety of issues, um, you know, foreign, domestic, economic, whatever it is, and it'll generate for you the candidate that most aligns. That actually aligns views. based on their position statements. And as opposed to leading with who someone is, what their name is, what party they belong to, focusing first on, you know, what's important to you from the level of issues. But, you know, politics is politics is about personality as well. It's not just about the issues. So maybe 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 we've skewed too much to one side of that. But if I have any philosophers listening, I do think there was trying to remember who it was, but who talked about he wished that you could only argue via the written word because that's you know, the written word is is what it is. There's no charisma there. Obviously, you can have people who write more poetically than others or more persuasively than others, but there is something very dangerous about charisma, um, which maybe is a topic for another time in the podcast in the future, the dangers of charisma. All right, Noe. How about some listener responses and questions that I can address? Yeah, let's just do a couple. I think you get a lot of these emails and usually there's some back and forth uh, via email, not not in public, but this might be a good opportunity as we're kind of closing out the year for this podcast to uh, to bring out some of those questions for your general audience and to answer them on the air, as it were. So uh, this first one is from Yosef Nemanpour. And the question is as follows. Do Jewish communal leaders often feel like their hands are tied when expressing their own opinions that oppose their organization or movement? Is this most prevalent in the different branches of orthodoxy? And if so, is this healthy for the community? Can one still be authentic this way? Um, <clears throat> so first and foremost, I would say that, and this is a reality that I think should change is people should be working for organizations that align broadly with their values. Um, I think the challenge when you have people who are working in organizations where their values don't align is that it sort of start to become a chameleon. So they're running an organization, let's say it's modern Orthodox, but they are not modern Orthodox or they're, you know, and and so they have to they have to keep adjusting, and they there's something they are end up being something they're not, and I think that that actually is not healthy for organizations. And the same thing happens with more right wing organizations or in conservative the conservative movement. Uh, they'll have orthodox educators, or in the yeshivish movement, they might have somebody who's not a not aligned with them running an organization. And I think that that's that's unhealthy for that person. Also, I think not healthy for the organization because when you have alignment throughout the organization from top down. That's much healthier, uh, and there's more consistency. It feels more coherent, the vision. But in answer to that question, Yosef, and it's an excellent one, I actually think the answer is yes. Meaning I think if you went to leaders of Jewish organizations, certainly schools, and I'm 100% shuls, and said to them, I'm, I'm putting some truth serum in you. <laughs> you have to be honest about what you, you know, whether you like everything that's going on, and not just critical, but like from a from a religious perspective or from a leadership perspective of the organization, the answer is, is absolutely. You'd have leaders, I think, across the board, uh, both in orthodoxy, but also in, in non-orthodox movements and conservative reform movements who feel like, no, this is not the, the people, my constituency does not, I, I can't say certain things to them. Um, and so, yeah, that's a, that at times is a frustrating feeling, I will be honest. Um, I think I'm pretty open with my community, but I certainly tailor messages. I kind of try to structure them so there's a positive piece of it, and then I'm pushing them a little bit, or there's an acknowledgement of the struggle, and then I'm encouraging growth 
Um, but I, I know for sure that lots of my colleagues in Jewish communal leadership, and I'm sure in, by the way, non-Jewish communal leadership, can't say exactly what they're feeling and their hands are tied to some degree. Like if there was a magic wand that would allow us to implement exactly the way we would want things to be implemented, I think you'd see some very different leadership. I don't know that that's a bad thing though. So meaning, I don't know that it's horrible that one person doesn't have the final say on everything. Um, I think it would be very dangerous. They say power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely kind of thing. Um, I'm not suggesting that religious leaders are corrupt or that it's it's a power grab by uh, all of us. I do think that there's a tendency when you're the sole decision maker and there's no checks and balances that you can start to believe your own PR uh, and you can start to think your opinion is the only opinion. And so I, I actually think it's good that we have constituencies and it's good that we have people that we need to answer to and it's good that we need to make sure that what we're saying uh, can resonate with our people because otherwise I think there's no there's no check to our thoughts and we become we almost become idol worshipers of ourselves rather than you know uh, of of uh, of God um so yeah Yosef I really appreciate the question um I, I think that you know you can still be authentic and you can still really be um, yourself, you just need to understand that there's ideal ideology and there's implementation. I think the bigger question of authenticity, no, it just comes in, like, are you working in an organization that that is you? Are you working in, or, in an organization that reflects your values? Or are you coming to work every day pushing an agenda that you don't really, in your heart and soul, care deeply about? Um, that, I think, is where the authenticity is a problem. Um, but I, that that I'm proud to say I feel incredibly authentic in my in my work life, and that to me is the most important piece. I don't have to say everything I'm thinking to be authentic. I don't think you know we say to our children all the time like not everything you think needs to be said, um, and I think that's true. I think that's true in family life and friendships. I think that's also true in communal life. Uh, you know we have an opinion as the leaders of the community, and we can certainly nudge our community and sometimes even shove our community or. Uh, you know, follow our community in certain directions. Uh, I don't think that makes us inauthentic, Yosef. I think that makes us leaders and leaders, you know, you have to bring people along with you. Um, so thank you for that question. Um, okay, so another question, and this one I'm actually not going to read the specific questions, but there were a few people and multiple emails that were asking about a certain phrase that people seem to be using on your podcast. Um, and that phrase was, quote unquote, my truth. People were kind of alluding to their truth when when speaking about issues and thinking about how they feel about them. And it seems like, at least with some listeners, uh, that kind of maybe rubbed them the wrong way or they didn't quite understand what was meant by that or it felt like a cop-out. So. Yeah. Let me call, let me be direct, because I think sometimes when we talk, we talk around issues, we don't get to the core of them. In that case, and there's issues in both directions, but in that case, that was more of a, people who are conservative are really upset when the left wing uses that term. I, ha I That's in my experience, meaning, I don't know, maybe there are right wing thinkers who use the term, their tr my truth, their truth. Um, that's not what I've seen. What I, I heard it from my more liberal guests, and it's something I've heard in the world, in my work, in my life of just, you know, reading and thinking and talking and listening, you hear this term, their truth. 
Um, and I think that that is really um, off-putting to conservatives. And whether so, so let's just talk about the that notion first, and then practically why I think it's we should really move away from that term. So I think from a actual standpoint, like you know, absolute standpoint, I I do agree with the people who criticize it. I mean, there is truth and there's not truth. To use the term my truth implies subjectivity within truth. Yes, of course, there are different experiences with things that happen, uh, but there is one truth about technically what happened. So I don't know whether you take the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. When we start to conflate truth with experience, I think it's a, it, it becomes very difficult for us to have a real conversation in either direction. So, you know, people who are focused on there's only one truth. Israel came here. They were legitimately allowed to come back. It was their land to begin with. And so, and then the UN voted and we got it and we won it through a war and these people left their houses. Okay, that might be the truth. And that is important, obviously. But the experience of the Palestinians who were living there, the experience of the Palestinians who feel like this was their home or they not even feel their grandparents lived there at some point, their great-grandparents lived there at some point. When we talk about experience, I think that can resonate with people. The moment you start using the word their truth, I think that stops debate and dialogue. You just can't have a discussion, meaning if there's not an agreement on the actual facts of what happened, that's, that stymies any ability to, to move forward. And so, you know, I, I actually responded to one of the, the people who wrote me about the notion of their truth with a quote from Isaac Asimov, the mathematician who, that I loved. There's a cult of ignorance in the United States, and there always has been. The strain of anti-intellectualism has been a constant thread winding its way through our political and cultural life, nurtured by the false notion that democracy means that my ignorance is just as good as your knowledge. Now, Asimov is a mathematician and he's very black and white about things, but he's I think he's right. And I and it's important to note, by the way, I don't think liberals are suggesting that there's two different truths. I think they use that because it has a lot of power, the notion of my truth. Meaning, like, this is my lived experience. I think if we could use those terms, lived experience or my perspective on all sides, I think we could have a much more fruitful conversation, a much more productive conversation. Everyone's experience and perspective is theirs. You could say it's based on incorrect facts, it's based on an incorrect truth, but that doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter. And if I could somehow communicate to you in a way that you can absorb that that truth that you have, that that experience that you have is based on incorrect truth or inaccurate facts, maybe that would change your mind. But I think that it's really important and it's something that I will definitely push my guests this coming year. Uh, that that term, my truth, I, I think it, it it closes down discussion rather than opens it up. And I'm sure there's, you know, maybe I'll get emails now after this, people who are more liberal about terms conservatives use that they find off-putting and close down conversation. I would love to hear those also because I, I want to avoid closing down conversation and I want to find ways where people can feel safe psychologically and emotionally uh, to share their thoughts with each other without shutting down. I think Isaac Asimov was a science fiction writer. Science fiction writer. I thought he was a mathematician though as a prof as professionally, like meaning that was his background. Let's do, let's do one more question um, and we'll call it a season. This question's from... Uh, this better be good, and I better have a good answer. I think you'll have a good answer, yeah. Okay. Uh, the question's from Yehoshua 
Duker, <laughs> and his question I, is as follows. I think I knew his brother many, many years ago. When we are not listening to this podcast, do you have any recommendations of other sources that people might find enlightening? For example, is there a particular weekly Torah portion newsletter that you recommend, or for longer time slots, any books? Mm. Well, first and foremost, let me start with my favorite book, which I'm assuming many people who are listening to this podcast have already read, probably read it before I read it, but The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt, or Haidt, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his name. Um, it's the best book on this topic that I think is out there. Um, I'd love for people to listen, to read it who haven't done so already. Uh, he just, the best thing he does is that the discussion that has happened in the, in the world today has basically started to boil things down to morality. And if you believe something, it's not about right or left, it's about right or wrong. That was something Rabbi Brous said that I disagreed with. I actually sort of thought you're now turning it into a moral issue and then there's no possibility for discussion. If you think you are morally correct and the other person is morally incorrect, if the issue we're discussing is purely a moral issue, so then there's no discussion to be had at that point. Height looks into the genesis or the origins of various moral theories or moral foundations of liberals, libertarians, uh, conservatives, uh, and shows that each group is actually acting and thinking out of a, a sense of commitment to certain morals. So I mean, it's not that it's not it's an amoral issue. Height says they're all moral issues. The, the piece is, is that we have to recognize and realize that there are different moral foundations. The conservative movement relies on certain ideas and the liberal movement uh, relies on certain ideas. And I think he's really, he hits the nail on the head. It's a, when you read the book, you're like, oh my gosh, this is what it's all about. We're all arguing from a gut feeling in many ways that we've been raised with. Uh, and obviously some of our individual personalities contribute to it, but our lived experiences... Uh, or our truths, wink, wink. Um, that's what we see, and we and we and we lean on those. And so, when we argue with another who has a different moral foundation, it does feel like that person is just totally immoral. How could they disagree on this? How could they see it differently? Uh, but but Height's book, The Righteous Mind, is worth reading uh, multiple times. Really incredible. Um, you know, I find in the you asked about a Torah portion. There's nothing better to me than Rabbi Lamb. Rabbi Norman Lamb is the former chancellor uh, and president of Yeshiva University who has, in the last few years, become more, more ill and uh, hasn't really been doing a lot uh, in the public. But when he was at his best in the, I think, 60s and 70s and 80s, and I was a student at Yeshiva University in the early 90s where he was the president and chancellor, he was remarkable in terms of moderation um, and being a moderate. Uh, he... If there was a term I could have given to him, it would have been radical moderate. There was no issue that he talked about that he didn't do, some, you know, some way of, you know, he pulling back the pendulum. Like, everybody thinks it's all the way over here. I'm going to pull you back to the, the value of this side. Um, he somehow always managed to find the middle ground on things or on most things. He really, it was remarkable. So whenever I'm in need of like a, radical moderation boost on a Shabbat, I read one of Rabbi Lamb's old, uh, you know, weekly portion commentaries. He used to give speeches, sermons uh, at his synagogue. I wonder if there are other preachers out there or rabbis or, uh, you know, imams from different 
you know, any of our listeners who have them, who could suggest them. For me, Rabbi Lamb is the bellwether, uh, you know, the the gold standard of, of, of finding the golden mean. And so I love looking back at his old uh, sermons. Um, you know, another idea uh, that I would have, Yoshua, is to ask somebody who diff- disagrees with you strongly, but you respect for a book that they're reading. You know, Noe, when I was interviewing people on the podcast, I sometimes asked them, what book are you reading that would be surprising? And I was kind of hoping that someone would say, I'm reading a book that's like ideologically opposed to me, but well-written, just so I can truly understand what what they're talking about. Most people had some book that was just sort of like off topic um, that, that, that I'd be surprised they would be reading. Um, I was, I, I think people don't read enough of what the other side is saying. Um, you know, finding a book that's just, I don't know, uh, Peter, is how do you pronounce Peter Thiel? You know, he was somebody who uh, voted for Trump. He was outwardly supportive of Trump in Silicon Valley. He's actually thinking of like leaving Silicon Valley or he's talked about it because he thinks it's so close-minded. I mean, they're so open-minded that they're close-minded. Um, and he writes, he has a book, Zero to One, and it's sort of very edgy and it pushes you to think outside of your comfort zone. His question he asks people who are interviewing with him is, what's one thing you believe that nobody else believes? Um, and I love that question. It's sort of like, where is everyone, where is the the herd mentality? How do you see it differently? Um, and so I would encourage people to ask somebody who you don't agree with, what book do you think really sums up, speaks to you? It shares your perspective or your uh, experience of the world. Let me read that book um, and read a book from somebody else's perspective. Um, you know, Brene Brown, uh, I have two other ideas. Brene Brown, who is one of my favorite authors, uh, I think she is beloved more by the liberal community, but I actually think there's a tremendous amount of value to be learned. Maybe not. Um, maybe I mean, maybe she's beloved by everybody. Uh, just about appreciating the other and having empathy. At the end of the day, a lot of this is just empathy and having empathy for the other side um, and the other perspective. That's what Jonathan Haidt is talking about. That's what Rabbi Lamb is talking about a little bit. It's just understanding that you're sitting across from a human being. Anyone who supported President Trump is a human being. Are some of them hateful? For sure. Are some of them, a lot of them, most of them probably, I hope, just normal, regular people who have dreams and hopes and values and morals that differ from yours? Yes. To demonize people on the other side, and the same thing is true of people who supported Barack Obama and pre- you know President Obama over eight years. Like, they're horrible, they're terrible, they just, this country's going to waste. Okay, from a strategy perspective, you might think this country's going to waste. They're not horrible and terrible people. They're people who are passionate about their values and their beliefs and their morals, and that might come from a different perspective. The last thing I would suggest, and this is, a little bit of my business school experience is there's a great book uh, called Expand the Pie by Irma Tyler Wood. Um, and she is part of like the negotiation. It's part of the negotiation studies of like getting to yes from the School of Negotiation. I don't know if it's at Harvard or not, but it feels like it would be at Harvard. She talks about expanding the pie that we often see the world as a limited resource. Um, I don't know if that's a word, but as having limited resources. And if you get something, I lose something. And I think too often that's what our community and our world and our country um, sees and feels, that if if your person wins, my person loses. If your team advances an inch, I lose an inch. And Irma Tyler Wood talks about finding the underlying uh, values that we share in common, that we want. 
Yes, the practical implementation of them, I'll have to give some, you'll have to give some. But if we can find the things that we share in common and find a way to expand the pie, or she says, then we then we can expand the pie, it's not a zero-sum game of negotiation. It's not a zero-sum game. It becomes politics. It becomes healthy politics, where you're giving a little bit and I'm giving a little bit, but we're both getting something that moves the country forward, that moves our communities forward, that moves us as a, as a personal, you know, as people uh, forward. And so um, I would recommend reading Expand the Pie. It's a small book and it's great. Uh, so thank you, Yoshua, for that question. I know that we, I got, you know, 50 to 100. E- I've gotten hundreds of emails, but I got a lot of emails with questions. We chose a few of them that we thought were most germane to all of our listeners. Um, I, again, I would encourage you to rate us, uh, forward us to other people. Noe, is there anything else you would suggest so we can become a sponsored by Apple and Google next year? No, that's it. I think, and I think ideas, um, and if you're interested in, in appearing on the podcast, you know, yeah. reach out to us. I'd love, to, I'd love for you to appear on the podcast with somebody else. I mean, I have enough people who want to appear on the podcast alone. I want two people who disagree strongly, respectfully, to come on the podcast and help everyone see how to do that. Yeah. So if you had a particularly contentious Shabbos meal discussion, the, bring that over here and we'll uh, get you on mic. <laughs> it would be great. Uh, so thank you for tuning in this year. Uh, if you, uh, I, I can't thank you enough. I know you're taking your personal time to listen. It means a lot to me. Uh, it makes me very hopeful that we can move the needle, albeit you know slowly, but move the needle on the conversation and dialogue in the world. And so uh, I wish you a great summer and I look forward to joining you back again and seeing you again on the uh, on the other side. Have a wonderful summer. <laughs>